1: And we had a record month last year on listenership, and I think we're going to actually beat that record this month, which is quite amazing for me because, especially here in Europe, where I am today, everybody's on vacation. So this is really great news, and I'd like to thank all our listeners uh, for listening in, and we do have listeners from all over the world. So good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you may be listening from today. Welcome back to these our returning visitor listeners, and if you are new, let me tell you what this series is about. Leadership Beyond Borders is about the impact, globalization, digital transition, and the connected world is having on our organizations and what this impact is doing to the kind of leadership we need to drive long-term success in today's economy. In this series, we have talked about everything from business issues such as artificial intelligence, data protection regulations, to leadership issues such as gender balance, generational management, and business values that may impact your organization or your individual career. So please download this series on iTunes, Google Plays, or Stitcher. Listen to us live at 3 p.m. specific specific time, and when you listen to us, you can get great advice, leadership success stories that can, you can learn from, stories that motivate you, stimulate new ideas, and possibly even be your, the key to your future success. Now, I invite you to connect with me on leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Connect with me on my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. Let me know what you want to hear about. I'd love to get an email from you. Now, if you're in a leadership position or aspire to be in one, regardless if your business is international or local, make sure you join us each week and we will make sure that you take home something useful, either for your business or yourself. Now, on to what we're going to talk about today, data and security. Now, data is one of the greatest assets of a company, and when information is lost, it can cause significant issues and result in substantial costs. Now, although cloud-based services have provided us with a way to store data so it doesn't get lost, not everybody is using them yet. And there are also other ways data can get lost in the old days, such as in a simple natural disaster. But the most common way is through technology, process errors, and external exposure. I mean, if you remember back, the world was shocked when Equifax announced that 143 million people's social security numbers were compromised. And as a matter of fact, that was quite some time ago when I just got an email from them the other day talking about compensation because I was compromised. And everybody asked, how did this happen? You know, what... What really happened don 't they have data security now they 're not the only ones firms such as Amazon, Walmart have had customer passwords leaked online, and these are only the significant ones that we hear about and For many leaders and companies who have the task of risk management, these figures these breaches could make it clear that the company is in jeopardy now however, however challenging this is we need to understand it and we need to understand not only security today but also as technology changes what can happen tomorrow i mean hackers are becoming more sophisticated we're having tech technology advances And companies and individuals need to stay one step ahead of the game. Now, our guest today helps companies stay one step ahead by assessing their risk and helping them plug up the holes that may expose them. Now, our guest is Christopher Gregg. And Christopher is the Vice President of Cyber Risk Management at Gilware. He is a technical lead with over 15 years of information security experience. Christopher has worked as a systems administrator. Oh, I'm so sorry. Christopher Gerg. Okay. I just made a complete guest mistake, which I never do. Okay. Christopher Gerg. And Christopher, am I saying that correctly? You are. Okay, great. Sorry about that. So our guest today is Chris Gerg, and he is the Vice President of Cyber Risk Management at Gilware, and he is a technical lead with over 15 years of information security experience. Christopher has worked as a systems administrator, network engineer, Um, penetration tester, information security architect, vice president of information technology, and director and chief information security officer. He has experience in the challenges of information security and cloud-based hosting, develop ops, manage security services, e-commerce, healthcare, financial, and payment card industries. He has worked in mature information security teams and has built information security programs from scratch, leading them into maturity and a wide variety of compliance regimes. While an expert in the theoretical aspects of information security and best practice, he is also experienced in the practical aspects of building secure technical environments, and working with the boardroom to promote executive understanding. He is also the author of Olari and O'Reilly and Associates' book, Managing Network Security with Snort and IDS Tools. So welcome, Christopher. And I apologize for pronouncing your last name incorrectly.
2: <laughs> no problem. I'm called Greg pretty often.
1: Yeah. And now it's kind of funny when you're looking at it. It's very easy to kind of get dyslexic with that. Um, so anyways, welcome to the show. So let's... Um, Let's first talk about risk management and cybersecurity. I mean, there's this myth out there that only either stupid people or unsecured companies are at risk. Is this true?
2: Well, it's not true. I mean, it's it's a little like... I always equate uh, information security and risk management to health. Um, you can do all the things you should be doing. I can take a multivitamin and run three miles a day and uh, eat well and all those things and still uh, get hit by a, a dump truck tomorrow crossing the street. <laughs> so um, it's a good idea to reduce your risks, like I described with with my health, um, uh, but you also need to be aware of what's going on, and and a lot of the attacks these days are are clever and sophisticated. And the I just recently was involved with an incident response for an organization that that had a very robust information security program in place and operating, but someone double clicked an email that they were sent because it looked real, oh, yeah. and uh, and it caused a, a ransomware infection. Um, the the difference is. Once that thing happens, a, a good, robust information security program isn't, isn't just a single box of security you plug into your network. It's, it's, a, it's a program, and it, it's far-reaching and has multiple levels of protection. So, so when that ransomware infection happened, it was fairly well-contained because they had a robust information security program and, and were aware of the threats and risks and, and had controls in place to protect them.
1: So, so in other words, it can kind of happen to any of us. As I, and that was a great example on the health. Um, so, when you go into a company and, and you assess the risk, how do you go about doing that in a company? Well, it, it's,
2: any successful IT department or, or any service within the company is, is only going to succeed if you have a good understanding of the actual business of the company. So, yeah. so it starts with that. Um, we spend a, a great deal of time when we're doing our assessments talking to the, the business leaders and the people on the ground that are doing the work to understand um, how the business works, what kind, of, what kind of data they have, where it goes, what they do with it, who they share it with, all of those things. And, and even the, the ancillary uh, things that, that aren't necessarily computer-based uh, items can impact uh, the security of of, of the data. Um, so, it starts with that understanding the business and, and how things flow and how things work. so once you have an understanding of the landscape, you can start start modeling the threats and the risks that the organization 's facing um, and once you have once you have a good understanding of the kind of thing you're you 're protecting yourself against, you can focus. Your limited resources, and it's a constant battle in information technology that there's not enough people, there's not enough budget, um, because IT seen as a as a, a cost center for an organization. Um, when in fact, I, I like to view them as kind of the oil that the engine runs in, uh, runs with. Um, so. Once you have those risks and threats in mind, you can uh, uh, appropriately, reasonably, and appropriately put controls in place to protect against those threats and risks.
1: And when when you're building that that view, so you, you're understanding what that business does, and you're building this landscape, kind of you're getting the understand of the landscape. So as you're looking at, I mean, how much of that assessment is is technical compared to processes? Or compared to organizational structure? Do you have to all look at all those pieces of the puzzle to put that together? Yeah, you you have to look at all
2: of it because any of those are potential vectors of attack. Um, there's a, a term, you know, some of those are higher risk than others, uh, depending on, on, on how your company works. Um, but you can't just do one without the other. Um, and and I think there's I think there's real value in taking kind of a more holistic approach, and and the approach that I often take is is I, I favor. Uh, automated, uh, mechanisms, things that, things that you can check to make sure they're running right, but don't take a lot of care in feeding. Um, if for no other reason, then, then you could be efficient that way. Um, and I also look for ways, you know, I don't look for point solutions. I always joke around about, um, you go to a carnival or, or an arcade and there's the whack-a-mole game where the little, uh-huh. the little heads yep. pop up and you hit them with a hammer. Um, that many organizations take the whack-a-mole approach with, with little point solutions to solve little point problems if you take a step back and you look at the entire organization and the landscape, using the term you described, um, you can find solutions that, that address not just a single thing, um, but, but help, help establish that, that far reaching program. Mm
1: -hmm. And, and it just seems, I mean, this is a lot of work and it seems so complicated and, and there's so much, there's so many things coming from outside today, um, you know, as you're doing this, how do you kind of stay a, a step ahead, you know, because hackers are getting more sophisticated. I mean, you just gave the example of that that email that it looked real. I mean, it's kind of this social engineering. Um, is it getting more complicated outside? Are they getting more sophisticated?
2: Absolutely. Um, we recently did a test with some information security professionals that I work with, where we, we sent... Uh, disguised emails uh to to test their ability to spot real and and fake uh emails it's called a fish test p-h-i-s-h a phishing email is a targeted email that's intended to look real and and trick you into doing something whether it's running some software or going to a website or or send, frankly sending somebody money um, and uh we had very good uh, uh, spotting of those emails, but these security professionals themselves who were mm. trained uh, di- didn't have a hundred percent ability to spot the, the fake emails.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though that, well, that's That's pretty scary. Um, because if you think about when you talk about building that landscape, we have so many people in the organization and as it gets more sophisticated, if even the professionals can't uh, tell the real from the fake, then that can make the job even harder for you, doesn't it? Right. Yeah.
2: Okay. And, and, and so what it what it leads you down the path of is is looking for ways to uh, uh, automate these tasks, make it so that um, set up your network so that if I'm sitting at my workstation and I work in H.R., for example, Mm-hmm. then i set up my network protections so that that as my as as an hr person i can get to the systems that i need to get to and i can do the work i need to do but no more uh, mm-hmm. it's a principle called the least privilege where you you have to understand how how the business works to set up these models but once once you do and once you've set up those models they're automated so that if if that person in hr does get infected with malware ransomware or whatever else, that, that you can limit its spread. Um, and, and then the other side benefit of that is is that, you know, if, if we're talking about the insider threat, quote, unquote, um, if you limit what a person can access from their workstation, uh, the the chances of there being a problem from that workstation go down.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and that's because, I mean, everybody always thinks that everything comes from the outside, right? But it, it doesn't always come from the outside. It comes from the inside sometimes also, doesn't it? absolutely um
2: board board border malicious people at work can cause a lot of damage
1: mm-hmm. okay well i want to come back on that for for a minute but we're going to take a short break first and then want to come back. I want to talk a little bit about the inside versus the outside and then go talk a little bit more about your primary assets and data and how you really go about protecting those. And for our listeners today, we are talking with Christopher Gerg, and he's the vice president of cyber risk management at Gilware. He is a technical lead with over fifteen years of information security experience. He has also authored the O'Reilly and Associates book, Managing Network Security with Snort and IDS Tools. Now, if you'd like to reach out to Christopher, you can go to the website, www.gilware.com. And also, Gilware is on LinkedIn. And on Facebook, you can go to GW Forensics. And on Twitter, it is also under... GW Forensics. and So please reach out to Christopher. And I'm your host, Kimberly Lewis, CEO, leadership and business expert. You can contact me with questions and comments at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or join our LinkedIn group at leadershipbeyondborders or go to my website, LeadershipBeyondBorders.net. Now, this show is also brought to you by Cinda, one of Europe's most extensive digital marketing and local search nonprofit associations. Cinda conducts market research and holds digital conferences two times a year in Europe and the Middle East and Africa. And their next conference is in Lisbon, October 13th to 16th. So, if you'd like more information on coming to Cinda in Lisbon, go to www. Cinda.com. And with that, we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back.
3: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America business network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight talking business consultant and author working with some of the top fortune 500 companies,
2: philosophy business tips and tactics spirituality positive thought current events and even more about your favorite hosts it's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com that's blog.voiceamerica.com the voice america press blog all access all the time
3: when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network
0: listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders. And today we are speaking with Christopher Gerg, Vice President of Cyber Risk Management at Gilware. He is a technical lead with over 15 years of information security experience. So, so Christopher, before the break, you were kind of giving us like an overview of what's going on in the world and, um, and you know, how you assess risk. And I, before the break, I asked you one question. I just like to come back to that question again about inside and outside, because, you know, as I said before the break, everybody always thinks that everything comes from the outside, but. It, how can it come from the inside? Do you, do you have to protect the inside also?
2: Well, you have to protect the inside just because, uh, in in any organization, you trust your employees to an extent and to uh, hopefully up to a certain uh, point. And if they're great employees and that 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 trust is well founded, um, but you also have to ensure against uh, potential malicious. Uh, uh, access or, or malicious intent um, because some people aren't, aren't kind <laughs> people with integrity. Uh, and so you have to protect that it, to the a good example is in the, in the, in the banking industry, um, tellers have access to a lot of money, but um, at the end of the day, their, their till gets counted and uh, audited. Um, they, they, the person standing at the, at the, the, little counter, um, doesn't have access to the big safe in the basement. Um, so, so you, you use the principle, which we discussed, touched on briefly earlier, of least privilege where the person has the access they need, Mm -hmm. um, but no more. And you have auditing and mechanisms in place to, to watch, to make sure that things are working like you expect them to. Mm
1: -hmm. And so those, those are, um, a combination of just then, you know, their technical solutions, but also their organizational rights and organizational structures and processes, aren't they? Well,
2: yeah, and, and very often they're procedural. Um, one of the. Mm-hmm. So I, I, the company I work for uh, does a lot of incident response work. So someone gets ransomware, or they get hacked, um, and uh, we get calls from their insurance companies or their privacy counsel, and and we get involved to find out the extent of what happened and how it happened and all those sorts of things. So I kind of have the, the answers for the test before the test even happens. So it's a little bit like cheating uh, in a good way, um, because I know how people are getting hacked and how people are are running into trouble. And so the two the two biggest things going on right now are ransomware, um, which is a particular kind of malware that can lock up data. And the other is is it's called wire transfer fraud, but that's a pretty broad term. Um, And I'm I'm telling you this story because it underscores kind of just what we were talking about with the insider threat. um, And and procedural protections. So what happens is uh, an organization will get compromised, and this is a this is a case study. This has actually happened. The organization got compromised because they they had a, a service exposed to the internet that got hacked by a person. That person then got into their email and and lingered in there for six to eight months uh, and just watched the emails going through the organization and identifying different users. And they found the the chief financial officer, and um, they they saw that a large Transfer was going to be taking place. This company was buying some bulldozers, which are very high ticket items. They're a few hundred thousand dollars each. And so they were going to be making four payments. Um, The emails went back and forth to make arrangements for the payments overseas. And uh, right after the email went, another email showed up in their inbox. It said, oh, I'm sorry, I had the account number wrong. That was an old account. Use this one. I'm so glad we got the sale in order. I look forward to, you know, continuing business. So it looked very, very legitimate. But that account number was was the hacker inserting his account number. And all of that money got transferred to the wrong account. The account was emptied. And 30 days later, that supplier said, hey, I thought we were going to be getting a payment. You're 30 days past due. And by then, it was long gone. Oh, um, wow. So, so that, that's, that's an external slash internal thing. Um, mm-hmm. But another organization... That sort of thing was attempted, but they had a, a manual process in place that any time there was a payment, they they had to verify through a means to ensure that they knew who they were talking to, what account numbers were, what values were, and two people had to review that and approve it before the money was transferred. and And that same kind of attack failed, um, and and in fact tipped off the uh, IT security people because. Because that email was fraudulent, and so they were able to dig into the email server and uncover that that hack had occurred, and and they didn't lose the money, and they found they found the person who did it. So, wow, th- th- those manual processes can be just as valuable as the technical ones.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a scary, scary st- story, and that would be what you're talking about. This wire transfer fraud, um, and what about the data? Okay, I mean, because because you know, first many companies just the actual data is such an asset. Um, you talked about, you know, how do people access that data or get databases? Because some of these databases are pretty big. I mean, if you, if, if you, you look at the, the Amazon and some of the other, the Marriott Hotel breach, was it Marriott, I think, or Starwoods that happened a while ago with that data? Um, how do you protect that data?
2: Well, this is a difficult thing because we we lived in the Wild West for decades, um, and in fact, I worked for a company that did business business marketing and business development work with with cu- their customer data. And the CIO I was working with said, "Don't delete anything ever because it's all it's all useful and we can find a use for it." And that's how things ran for a long time. We used to get in fights about that quite a bit. Um, now, with the advent of privacy laws like GDPR, and there are others. Um, you, you need to you need you have a responsibility to know where the data is, where it came from, uh, what happens when it's in your control and if it's appropriately protected um, and then and then perhaps even more importantly from a, from a personal privacy perspective, you need to be able to get rid of it when when someone requests that you get rid of it mm-hmm. um, and and that's where things are are very difficult for companies, particularly in the u s that are are just now trying to get their head around unfortunately, just now trying to get their head around uh, where their data lives. So ultimately, the answer to your question is you, you need to have a good understanding of, of your data, mm-hmm. how, where you get it from, where it, its entire life cycle when it's in your possession, with whom you share it. Um, and each little bit of data needs to be indexed to uh, either the individual or the source of where it came from. And that's, And that's causing a lot of trouble.
1: Mm-hmm. And because we, uh, come to GDPR, and I have to say, uh, um, if you go back one year ago on the 31st of May, 2018, um, I mean, most of the European companies, everybody just panicked. OK, mm-hmm. you know, do we do we know where the data is? Do we know? But I think it, it, this is quite important because it's not just about having to know that and control that. But there can be quite large fines if you don't and if, and if you get breached um, and, and you don't go through these processes. So do companies actually understand this? Because you said it was a Wild West before. GDPR is only one year old. And then you have in the United States, CCPA in California. And it seemed like GDPR just started this trickle of, oh, wow, privacy is now going to help us. Privacy is going to initiate this security more security around data, but do companies understand that? Because it's confusing.
2: Um, it is confusing, and it's only going to get more confusing as as more regulations happen. G- GDPR happened because there were almost forty different data privacy regulations across the EU, yeah. and and this that patchwork was just. Just too much, and there was an, it was almost difficult to distill down kind of a high watermark for for what the requirements were, and so that was the genesis behind GDPR. Um, I think a similar thing is going to happen in the U.S. Um, we the CCPA, which which I've, I've attended a, a few talks with some privacy attorneys uh, about CCPA, and they they kindly describe it as a dumpster fire, um, okay. in as much as it. it, it with all good intents, was written in a vague way from, from both a, uh, an, an enforcement perspective as well as, as how they're going to uh, uh, give penalties and, and what's, what's allowed and what's not. It, it just is a, uh, a difficult uh, piece of legislation that's being revised right now. Um, but Maryland just passed another. Um, there's uh, there's one in Ohio. There's one in North Carolina. Um, Wisconsin's talking about doing one. I've been involved with that one. Um, and and it it gets difficult not just from. Uh, the patchwork of what the requirements are, but also that enforcement that you talked about, uh, mm-hmm. GDPR just now is is being enforced, and, and the first fines are starting to trickle out of the enforcement agencies, uh, and they're going after the big hitters with the deep pockets, like you would expect, and and I think everyone's just kind of sitting back and waiting to see what what's going to result from from that litigation, uh, so that see what the precedents are that are being set. Um, and, and, and there's some infighting going on in the EU right now about enforcement Too Ireland, for example, just historically is pretty lenient uh, with with the enforcement of, of laws like this because they want they want more businesses in Ireland. Um, not to say anything bad about Irish people, it's it just is what it is. And so there's mm-hmm. some there's some things need to be rooted out there a little bit. Um, but but it also uncovers um, one of the root problems with with. Requirements and laws and legislation that that exerts a fine when when uh, when there's a problem detected, and that mm-hmm. is companies are incented to hide the fact that a breach occurred. Um, yeah. because you know if if you're going to fine a company three million dollars for for having a breach, where's that three million dollars going to come from? That's going to make it harder for that company or that organization to To do the things they ought to have been doing to prevent that breach, um, and with a with a punitive penalty for a breach, when we just talked about a, a an organization with a robust information security program can still have a problem in a breach um, it's it's just not i mean it's just not fair and mm-hmm. uh, so which has led some of these laws, like the Ohio one that I mentioned earlier, to have this concept of safe harbor. Uh, yes. As opposed to fines, where where your enforcement agency also does some auditing, and if you've got an information security program that meets their requirements, you get put in this safe harbor. So that if there is there is a breach, you still need to notify the people who were affected by the breach, but you you don't get fined, um, or if you do get fined, that money gets put into an escrow um, so that you can use that money. Uh, to address the co- the root issues that caused the problem in the first place, which I, I, I like that model very much.
1: Mm-hmm. That that does sound like a good model. Um, and, and I have a question about the U.S. Because in GDPR, as you said, it came together because there was so much different regulation. It's pretty clear now. Um, we'll see what's going to happen with the fines. Uh, but... If you had a business, for example, uh, 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 let's say you had a tourist business, a company in California. Now you have customers in the EU and then you have customers in California, but you also have customers in Maryland, as you just said, or Wisconsin. So how do you think U.S. is going to bring all these 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 laws together at a state level to one federal level because it seems very very confusing. How are you as a business going to keep up with all the regulations where your customers are?
2: Well, they're going to have to at a certain point, um, or it's just going to almost entirely eliminate entire verticals. Um, where where if you if you're handling data, you're either going to try to find the high watermark, and and there aren't a lot of you know you see these these. Uh, uh, News items that there's just not enough cybersecurity and risk management uh, trained people in the world, and they're having trouble filling those jobs. Um, those are the people that need to need to need to distill down all of those laws into what the high water mark is. So if you can't mm-hmm. even hire the people to do it, um, it's going to be difficult. And once the businesses start feeling pain, um, and not just the the big businesses, but the small and medium sized right. businesses start to feel pain they'll start putting, uh, hopefully start putting, uh, pressure on, on their legislators and, and that'll trickle its way up. Um, I, I worry about, the the first few attempts that have occurred at the federal level have been clumsy and, uh, all the infighting and, uh, all the, all the personal projects that a lot of these legislators have muddy the water so much that, that I, I get a little nervous of that, um. What what might happen is what happened in the payment card industry, um, Visa, Mastercard, American Express, JCP and Discover all got together and started the the organization called the PCI SSC, the Payment Card Industry uh, Security Standards Council, and they did that uh, to try to prevent the feds from stepping in and telling them what the what the data security standards should be for payment card industry. Um, it almost makes me think that that if if A a third party organization came about that outlined uh, uh, kind of a, a data subject bill of rights that companies could sign on to that, that, Involved uh, getting audited and certified, um, so that there could be a safe harbor program, had a breach notification mechanism that made it very easy and and painless to let the people know, um, and also helped companies with the tools they needed to to do that inventory of their data and understand its life cycle. Um, that 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 might that way you've got the experts building the standard instead of the federal government stumbling along and trying to come up with something like, like the trouble that, that HIPAA provided to the healthcare industry.
1: Mm-hmm. And actually uh, I think that's a really good you know way forward. If something like that would happen, because you already see now in Europe, um, the next stage with, with e-privacy um, them fumbling around trying to figure out what to do, but right. we're going to take, yeah, we're going to take a real short break and we um, For our listeners, we're talking with Christopher Gerg. He's the Vice President of Cyber Risk Management at Gilware. He's the technical lead with over 15 years of information security experience. And if you'd like to reach out to him, you can reach out to him at www.gilware.com, on LinkedIn under Gilware-Inc, on Facebook under GW Forensics, and on Twitter under Forensics. Uh, g w forensics so christopher we 're going to take a short break and we come back i 'd like to just kind of stay on this subject a little bit um, and then to have you maybe define what forensics is for us and then talk about kind of what 's going to happen with all this stuff as technology advances and and you know how do we protect ourselves you know with voice um, voice services and the next generation of ai and everything else that's not happening today but just starting to happen today and with that we're going to take a short break
3: from the boardroom to you voice america business network are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
0: You are listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. Do you have a question or comment about our show? Please send an email to leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Again, that's leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program.
1: Welcome back to Leadership Beyond Borders on Voice America's business channel. And today we're speaking with Christopher Gerg, and he's the vice president of cyber risk management at Gilware. He's a technical lead with over 15 years of information security experience. Now, we've been we've been kind of talking about a lot of things. We started out with, you know, exactly what's happening in the world as far as cybersecurity. And then we've just talked about some of the laws that have, have made things, uh, or tried to tighten things up you know, um, for different reasons, laws that came out of privacy issues that are now tightening up security issues. And I wanna come back to, to what you're doing, um, Christopher. And I always hear the word data forensics. Okay, what, what exactly is data forensics?
2: Well, at, at its at its root level, it's it's trying to figure out what happened after something bad happens, um, and that can be at the level of a a, a small USB hard drive, little stick, um, or it could be at a at a full organization with three thousand workstations and two hundred servers. Um, so, a- after something bad happens, and after something is noticed, um, we have a team of incident response folks that get that get called in and uh, their work will vary based on the type of incident and what happened. Um, And it can be, like I said, as large as a large organization, we dig into, we do forensic uh, uh, images of the hard drives. We analyze uh, the times that people were, were touching certain files or logging in or, or try to try to model the activities that were happening in the organization. And, and in some, some cases that's easier to do than others. Um, if the organization has good auditing in place, good logging, alerting, uh, and and kind of tracking mechanisms, you can re- recreate and reconstruct the activities of, of malicious folks or, or just bad things that have happened um, to, a, to a very large extent and to a very detailed extent. Um, in smaller cases, um, let's say someone uh, uh, suspects that that uh, there's very vital data on a hard drive, and that and that hard drive was compromised in some way. Um, maybe the hard drive doesn't even work anymore. We can we can get down to the take the hard drive apart, take the platters out of the hard drive, and and pull the data off of the hard drives. Um, in in the case of of some cyber crime, uh, uh, cases, we've had uh, as the police are breaking the door down, the person's hitting the hard drive with a hammer to try to keep that data from getting accessed. Um, so it, it goes from the small scale to the very large scale, but ultimately you're, you're trying to reconstruct what happened uh, and and try to recover what data you can.
1: So as you, as you reconstruct this, what has made it easy, easier or more difficult with technology changes? I mean, with, you know, cloud-based services, um That opens up to a completely different kind of you know data exposure or risk management. What has that done to the reconstruction
2: well we've we 've gotten very good at having systems be secure by default when I was a penetration tester a number of years ago um it, it why <laughs> it wasn't that hard? Um, we 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 could just almost stroll into a lot of organizations' environments and have access to pretty much what we wanted. Um, these days. Just out of the box, operating systems and devices are are more secure and more robust in their security, um, and, and primarily in the areas of of encryption and authentication. Uh, Two factor authentication makes it very difficult for me to impersonate somebody. Uh, encryption makes it makes it very difficult, if not impossible, to access data that I don't have the decryption mechanism uh, on hand. Um, a good case is a good example is the iPhones. Um, the newest versions of the iPhones. If if you have that that machine locked, that device locked, and and you don't provide the the authentication mechanism, whether it's Touch ID or whatever else, um, I can I can take the chips out of that that iPhone, and I still can't access the data on it. Um, and that's a good thing. And that's a bad thing. Um, we're always balancing privacy um, with, with the ability to, to detect crime and the ability to, to investigate crime and, and, and do digital or data forensics work. Um, I would rather err on the side of privacy. Um, and I, and I, I I have, I have, I'm not your average bear when it comes to data privacy stuff, but I, I have a less of a, a trust that, uh, like if there was a, a, a an encryption backdoor built into every device um that government and and agencies would use that in an entirely responsible way mm-hmm. so that that's the balance here always playing but the the answer to your question is
1: it's gotten a lot harder mhm Mm-hmm. And even in mobile, because I, so you see, you know, if I look at it from kind of an amateur view, on mobile, um, I had my iPhone stolen and I had a panic, okay, because I we do everything. I mean, half the population uses mobile now, okay. Um, is this, so you think that, it, that is, this is probably more secure now than it was, or, or are there any big holes when it comes to, you know, using your mobile phone or using Day, you know keeping data on your phone um, of course most of it's kept in the cloud is, is it is there any bigger risk
2: well there's 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 bigger risk when when we're talking about the security ultimately we're talking about the security of data and if mm-hmm. this is a business focused uh, uh, talk we're having then we right. need to keep that in mind so um if if my business's data is going to be on the phone that's sitting in your pocket, I want to have some assurance that that data is secure. Mm-hmm. And so what organizations do is they'll install mobile device management software on on the host. And they define... Uh, either applications or data stores or, or particular specific data on that phone as as belonging to the business. And those mobile device management tools will, will force that phone to use good encryption. It will force that phone to use good authentication. So it'll make sure that you're logging in appropriately um, and that that can't be subverted. But then we'll also allow that business to remotely uh, with a single packet sent from a management console to delete that data, or even wipe the entire phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if someone says it's stolen, they can wipe the entire phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so you just you, you just need to know where your data is and how it's protected. Mm-hmm.
1: And and uh, as we move forward, um, and businesses move forward using more AI or voice services, uh, how, what's going to open up with this? Um, is it, are we gonna have more challenges or do you think we'll be able to get more protection from this as well, we move with the new technologies?
2: AI, where, where AI is strong um, and, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things that get thrown around. If I go to another conference and someone talks about AI and blockchain, I'm gonna scream. But um, <laughs> AI, ultimately, its use is pattern recognition um, and and recognizing uh, uh, either things that are normal or things that are abnormal. Um, it's very, very good at that. It, it can branch into other areas, but I think that's where we're going to get some benefit from it. Um, and that's where we're seeing some benefit. Some of the some of the tools we were talking about logging and alerting and monitoring earlier, um, there's tools in place that, that keep an eye on those logs and alerts um, from all of your devices. And, and it notices that, you know, uh, that person in HR, they always log in at eight in the morning and they log out at five in the afternoon. Um, they don't work from home. Um, and so if at three in the morning, all of a sudden that person logs in and starts doing things, that should raise a red flag. Yep. And it's that kind of thing that AI is going to provide some value. Um, the other the other place is there. there's tools now in place called advanced threat protection, which is kind of anti- a virus on steroids, where where instead of it having a big list of files that are recognized as being naughty, um, it watches for activity on that host. So if, if all of a sudden calculator.exe on your computer starts to try to access your email, um, that's that's an anomalous behavior and will raise a red flag and and will be recognized as potential malware um, and because it's instrumented so closely to every system call happening on the workstation um, it can uh, it can recognize a lot of potentially dangerous things. And uh, the newer ones are really good at, uh, if it notices something bad, it locks that machine out from the network Mm -hmm. so that it can't spread further. Um, Mm -hmm. That's where AI, I think the AI, artificial intelligence-like behavior is going to provide some value. Mm
1: -hmm. So it's going to help us because it is pattern recognition. So we're getting towards the end of the show, um, Christopher, and I'd like to I'd like to kind of get a message out, um, to our listeners. We have, we have mostly management level, um, executive listening. Uh, and if you had three things to recommend to a company out there, just to, to minimize their risk, what would that be? Two to three things.
2: Well, if you don't have someone on your board of directors, and I'm, I'm, I'm actively seeking uh, uh better representation of of risk management and information security awareness in in boards of directors, but if you don't have that, you need to hire it um it, whether that's a person that works for your company or it's a trusted advisor, um, which is kind of how we we uh, present our the services that i I manage um, mm-hmm. and so you need someone who knows what they're looking at, and you need someone who's in touch with the kinds of attacks that are happening. Today, so that you understand what your threats and risks are. Um, so, I think that's the first thing. Um, secondly, and it sounds simple, um, but it isn't necessarily, you need to keep uh, everything up to date with patches and updates. Um, most, if not nearly all, of the kinds of attacks that occur that aren't social engineering or, or phishing emails, and even some of those, rely on uh, a vulnerable, unknown a vulnerability. Uh, something mm-hmm. that 's been patched for a while, um, and so you know it used to be that you know if every quarter you get your patches and updates distributed that 's fine um, it 's gotten now so that within seventy two hours I think at the longest uh, is the longest you should go without applying a security related patch to a to a system um, so that that just means you need to have more automated tools to to know that the patches exist, but then automated and trustworthy tools to distribute those patches and and back out. Uh, in case there's a problem, so let's get everything up to date with patches, um, and then finally, we were talking about the the two biggest risks being ransomware, which is a kind of malware, mm-hmm. uh, and the other is 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 wire fraud, and we're we're seeing a lot of that. Um, so so you need to know where your money is, and you need to know where it's being sent, uh, and, and that means in some cases, like we described earlier, a manual procedure. Um, so, so those are those are the three big hitters. Um, but but ultimately, you need someone who's who's either on the board or reporting directly to the board, uh, with strong awareness of uh, of of their of risk and information security.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are those are three really good points um, for our companies and our managers listening. There, um, I've seen that myself on the hiring process. I think that's really important: getting somebody on the board and getting somebody in the company, whether it's a trusted advisor, as you said, like you guys do at Gilware or somebody who's actually in the operations of the company. So uh, this has been really, really interesting, Christopher. So thank you so much. Um, And uh, if you had one thing, just one quick thing for the private people listening out there, you know, for privacy and protecting ourselves, what would that be?
2: (sighs) Um, Well, I guess just think before you click on an email. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, if job. we did that, <laughs> if we did that, we'd have a lot less trouble.
1: Uh, okay, great. Well, thank you very much. And for our listeners, we have been speaking with Christopher Gerg, and he's the vice president of cyber risk management at Gilware. He is a technical lead with over 15 years of information security experience. He has worked in mature information security teams and has built information security programs from scratch and leading them into maturity in a wide variety of compliance regimes. And he has given us fantastic advice and information today. He's also an expert not only in theoretical aspects of information security best practice, but he's also an expert in the practical aspects. He's also the author of the O'Reilly and Associates book, Managing Network Security with Snort and IDS Tools. Now, please reach out to Christopher. You can go to their website at www.gilware.com. It's also, Gilwer is also on LinkedIn under Gilwer slash Inc, on Facebook under GW Forensics, and on Twitter under GW Forensics. And Christopher, you're also on LinkedIn. People can reach out to you there. And I think if we all listen to Christopher and take take his advice um, and the companies take Christopher's advice, then we can all minimize our risk for our companies and also a little bit for us privately. So you've been listening to Leadership Beyond Borders. It's a program sponsored by Global Business Therapy, SRO, and CINDA, which is the Digital Marketing and Local Search Association of Europe. CINDA holds conferences each year, and our next conference at CINDA will be held in Lisbon, October 13th to 16th. And you can hear in Lisbon digital experts from around the world. So please sign up under www.cinda.com events. At Leadership Beyond Borders, we provide leadership training with a focus on digital transition and digital agencies. And we have the Women's Leadership Academy 2020, which specializes in diversity and C-level development for women. If you'd like to contact me, your host, Kimberly Lewis, please send me a mail at leadershipbeyondborders at gmail.com or visit my website, leadershipbeyondborders.net. Please remember to tune in to us each Tuesday afternoon at 3 o'clock or 1500 for our European audience. And that is uh, Pacific time. So also, please download us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And with that, Christopher, thank you again very much for taking the time to be with us today. And for our listeners, tune in to us next week.